Morbidly Beautiful presents Couch Trip Cinema, the podcast where we dig a little deeper and discuss why we are almost pathologically compelled to make movies. My name is Matthew Curry Holmes, and I love movies. Thank you so much for tuning in to Couch Trip Cinema. Uh, this is a segment I like to call Cinebites, where basically you just hang out with your favorite ex-video store clerk. Um, film criticism. I think it's important. I, uh, I believe in film criticism. I think that uh, there are some amazing film critics out there, and uh, full disclosure, I used to be one. I'm not saying that I was an amazing film critic, but I was a film critic before I was an actor and a screenwriter and a filmmaker. And I think uh, criticism is really important. It, it uh, helps us uh, define uh, what we like, or more importantly, um, it helps us distinguish what we like uh, if we can't put our put our finger on it, but sometimes critics get it wrong. You know, in my humble opinion, I, I I think that sometimes the hive mind gets together and beats up on a poor movie that uh, that doesn't deserve it. And in this episode, I'm going to talk about two films, uh, two contemporary films, where I think the critics got it wrong. And this is nothing new. Uh, Psycho, for example, was almost universally panned upon its release. Uh, New Yorker's Pauline Keel called the script for Halloween pitiful and amateurish. Uh, the seminal 1955 noir masterpiece Night of the Hunter was browbeaten so badly that director Charles Lawton never directed another film. Scrooged uh, was, was basically lambasted for what they called slick indifference. And Roger Ebert said that Fight Club was, quote, a thrill ride masquerading as philosophy. Now, to, to be honest, I don't actually disagree with that, but, oh, what a great thrill ride. Do you have any idea how hard it is to make nihilism appealing? I mean, I can think of a hundred movies that explore the themes of desensitized violence and unchecked masculinity, and 98% of them are not as sophisticated or subversive as Fight Club. For those of you keeping score, the second percentile belongs to the seminal Naughty Boy satire Clockwork Orange, but I digress. So... All of those films have one thing in common, time. Time has passed, and like a decanted wine that just just needed to breathe a little bit, those movies uh, found their audience, and more importantly, vindication from the critics' scorn. But I want to talk about more recent films, uh, two contemporary films that I feel the critics were far too unkind towards, and uh, that would make for very entertaining viewing, especially in these quarantine times. Uh, I also want to add that while I, I think uh, both of these movies are really good, I'm not quite sure that time will be as kind. I mean, maybe, but I, I doubt it. But we are here, and we are here in this moment. And in this moment, these two films are a ton of fun. Now, my basic philosophy is that a movie need only adhere to the mythology it creates and the rules it sets up to follow in order to succeed. I mean, I know that that, that sounds a tad reductive, but I did say basic philosophy. Good acting, great direction, cinematography, production design, score, editing are, you know, essential. But generally speaking, as long as a film sets up a mythology, a set of rules, and follows those rules, it, it should succeed to one degree or another. Yes, 
I understand that movies are subjective and people's tastes are almost always a factor. And there's always going to be that one guy, that one guy who says light can't refract to the point of a higher concentration to the exact length and dimension of a sword. That would be a laser and the reactive particles would disperse beyond the saber's endpoint. Yeah, we get it. You hated Star Wars and your, your, your dream is to be retweeted by Neil deGrasse Tyson. But for the rest of us, the rest of us idiots who enjoy movies... Here are a couple of contemporary films you may have overlooked based on cast or Rotten Tomato scores. And we start with the 2008 cop thriller Street Kings. So you know who I am, and I know who you're not. If you're not Fremont and Coates, then who the hell are you? Who are we? Detective. You straight nightmares. We are walking, talking, exigent circumstances. No, no, wait. I know these guys. Street Kings is a crackerjack crime movie directed by David Ayers, starring Keanu Reeves, Forrest Whitaker, Hugh Laurie, Common, Chris Evans, and was co-written by tough guy, telegrammatic crime novelist, James Elroy. Now, I understand if after hearing that roll call, you've decided to tap out. That's a lot of hackneyed machismo in one sentence. And you wouldn't be incorrect in thinking Street Kings doesn't have a fair share of cliches. However, there is a difference between a movie that simply goes through the motions and one that leans into their influence and material so hard that they nearly knock it over. Street Kings is the latter. Do not, and I repeat, do not hand Washington your badge. I know you two have done some dirt together. But we're gonna hold a line, you and me. We've been here before, haven't we? When the gates of hell opened up on you, Tom? When I took care of you then, I'm gonna take care of you now. All right? Keanu Reeves plays disillusioned vice detective Tom Ludlow, the, uh, the tip of the spear for an elite squad of not-so-by-the-books cops who do whatever it takes to get the bad guys even if it means murdering them and staging the crime scene later, which they do quite often. Ludlow is under investigation from internal affairs courtesy of his ex-partner, the strictly by-the-book patrolman Terrence Washington, played with heartbreaking conviction by Terry Crews. Washington has no problem throwing Ludlow under the bus in the name of justice, and the two men have very different views when it comes to police procedure. Congrats on four more notches for your gun belt. I'll be praying for the families of your victims. They're called suspects. The victims are the 14-year-old schoolgirls. The suspects kept in a cage and sold to chicken hawks to poke, prod, and put on the internet. Suspects, Washington. Suspects. Ludlow wants to get back at Washington, and making a not-quite-sober-bad decision, follows him into a convenience store prepared to kick his ass. But before he can throw the first punch, a couple of hardcore gangbangers show up with way too much artillery and rob the store. Washington and Ludlow backseat their feud and attempt to foil the robbery. Unfortunately, Washington is brutally murdered by excessive machine gun fire to the body. But oddly enough, Ludlow is left unscathed. This was clearly a setup by some of the bad cops, hoping to get rid of Washington and get Ludlow off the hook. The only problem was, is during the shootout, Ludlow accidentally shot Washington in the back with his thirty-eight, causing a slight hiccup in the ballistic department. Pulled these out of Washington. Yep. 18 rounds. 
1045 caliber full metal jackets, seven nine mil FMJs, and a single 38 hollow point mushroomed against his scapula. Meanwhile, back at police headquarters, Ludlow's captain, a gleefully scene-munching Forrest Whitaker, promises that he and his crew will take care of it. All Ludlow has to do is keep his head down. Well, of course he doesn't. And with the help of Captain America himself, the two begin an investigation that lead them both down a gritty rabbit hole in the hopes that they can unravel the mystery of who killed Terrence Washington and why. So what do they call you? They call me, they call me fucking Quicks, man. Quicks? Quick. Not quick enough. Hey, give me the fuck down. Those please, man. Shit's cutting me down. Fremont and Cubs. They were staying across from the house you were partying at. You know them? <laughs> I'm fucking know them fools, man. I'm a fucking Southsider, right? I said, I don't be fucking partying with no brothers and shit, man. What the fuck you doing? Who knows them? Who knows them? Right. Who knows them? Street <laughs> Kings borrows heavily from great 70s crime thrillers like The French Connection and Serpico, and it falls nicely into the dirty cop subgenre that exploded in the early aughts. While it doesn't quite reach the heights of uh, David Ayers' Training Day, a movie that he wrote, Street Kings is able to differentiate himself from more generic fare of the time, like Lakeview Terrace or Brooklyn's Finest. And the reason it does is because it never loses sight of the fact that its sole purpose is to entertain. No matter how gritty the material, Street Kings has the ability to take that grit and chop it into bite-sized, easily digestible pieces. Nothing lingers long enough for the audience to give it, you know, too much thought. And that's that's a good thing, because if we did stop and really think about what was happening on screen, we would probably be super depressed. I know you want my skeleton in your wall, but then who's going to go where the wall won't? You, Captain? You? You going to clean up the needles and baby parts? No. You need me. On company men, you hate me. Look, Street Kings is not without its cliches, obviously. The great crime movies have all been made. But the cliches here feel more like comfort food on a rainy day than they do full-on rip-offs. And within these cliches, the real star of the show shines through. And that is the dialogue from Mr. James Elroy. Konnichiwa's Japanese. It's insulting to Koreans. How am I supposed to tell if you can't? What the fuck's that supposed to mean, white boy? means you got eyes like apostrophes. You dress white, talk black, and drive Jews. So how am I supposed to know what kind of zipperhead dog-munching dink you are if you don't? Yo. Do you know who the fuck we are? Yeah. You're a couple panheads buying a machine gun out of my trunk. Just a little bit of context. Ludlow was race-baiting those gentlemen so that they would kick the shit out of him and lead him to a horrible crime in progress. Yep, it's that kind of movie. If you've never had the pleasure of reading crime novelist James Elroy, do yourself a favor right now. Pick up The Cold 6000, put on Bitches Brew by Miles Davis, and enjoy. Elroy's prose is like scat jazz. It's, it's, it's like listening to a beat poet describe an autopsy. His writing style is dizzying, and while his screenplay for Street Kings was written in the 90s, it still retains that sexy staccato Elroy was famous for. What the fuck are you doing in my office? The fuck are you doing jamming my people at lunch? If you got a problem with Ludlow, you come to me. You keep your dog on a leash. Everybody knows he can't make a move without you. And what about you, Jack? You always found it hard to keep your prick out of the ghetto. It's a two-way street, buddy. You can't ride the tiger forever. Now get the hell out of my office. Do the department a favor. 
and wash your mouth out with buckshot. The cast is uniformly terrific. Keanu Reeves' soulful yet misguided Ludlow is a perfect character for Reeves to play. He's always in the moment, doesn't say the smartest things, but his heart is more often than not in the right place. Each of the dirty cops, Jay Moore, John Corbett, and Amore Nolasco, are given fun singular moments. Naomi Harris, as Washington's widow, gives a baleful performance that grounds the film, and the cameos from Cedric the Entertainer in a serious role in common are lit fuses for the inevitable powder keg. But the crown jewel in this cast is Forrest Whitaker. His final scene is filled with an energy and an urgency of a five-alarm fire. He goes from zero to 60 and back again, often in the same take, and it is glorious to watch. Don't mourn them. You can't mourn them. You set me up. You sent me in to die, Jack. I didn't set you up. You set yourself up. I was trying to save you. You backed me up in a fucking corner. You put on Washington. Fuck him. Fuck Santos. Fuck the mill. Fuck Lady, fuck them all! Fuck them all! They're a dime a dozen! You... You, man... You're special. You're special to me. Iskand? He's special? I watched a good man die because of you. That is entirely your fault. Come on, Tom. How do we get past this? Street Kings was given a paltry 36% on Rotten Tomatoes, and this astounds me. It does everything it sets out to do, and it does it right. The mystery unravels in a nice, clean manner, in a very nice pace. We are not too far ahead of it. We're never confused by it. It is it is obscenely well shot. L.A. looks amazing. It's gleefully violent without being depressing. The dialogue is cracking, and most importantly... It's so damned entertaining. Look, I get it. After L.A. Confidential, one might expect something a little more intricate and sophisticated from Elroy. But if you're looking for an L.A.-based noir crime thriller that delights in its profanity and is unapologetically not PC, then Street Kings, well, it's a really fun time at the movies. You're walking, talking, exigent circumstances. I love what Wikipedia says about my next pick. The Accountant is a 2016 action thriller film directed by Gavin O'Connor, written by Bill Dubuque, or Dubuque, starring Ben Affleck, Anna Kendrick, J.K. Simmons, John Barenthal, Jeffrey Tambor, and John Lithgow. The story follows Christian Wolf, played by Affleck, who is a certified public accountant with high-functioning autism who makes his living uncooking the books of criminal and terrorist organizations around the world that are experiencing internal embezzlement. Can you imagine pitching that log line? I wonder how many studios passed before Warner Brothers picked it up. It's like, no, it's, it, it's about an accountant, see? And he uncooks these books. Like, people are going, okay, so what, what's the movie? Excel spreadsheets? Okay, but what the logline doesn't tell you is that Affleck is also a deadly assassin, or at least possesses all the skills of a deadly assassin and will use said skills when needed. And given his line of work, the use of deadly force is probably not uncommon. When I say the name of your employer, you say yes. Practice. Yes. Gamora. Juarez. Gambino. Do you understand the rules? 
I really don't want to give too much away, not because I'm lazy, but because unlike Street Kings, which is pretty much a paint-by-numbers cop thriller elevated by James Elroy, The Accountant is an action-packed, kind of batshit crazy movie filled with moments that I can honestly say I have never seen before. The Accountant follows three converging storylines and one flashback origin story. J.K. Simmons plays a treasury agent who has been looking for the elusive accountant for years. The reason? Well, it's best left to discover for yourself. Suffice it to say that it involves Christian Wolf brutally murdering nine mafiosos in less than two minutes. Your guy takes out two mob enforcers with a steak knife he lifted off an Italian restaurant down the street. Then he strolls into a den of stone cold killers and goes on a seven man killing spree. Headshot, headshot, headshot. Sorkis, stop. A den of stone cold killers. Where is this? The Raven Knight, headquarters of the Gambino crime family. He killed Anthony Little Tony Bazzano. Forensics list cause of death is blunt force trauma. Your boy kicked him in the head once. Okay, let me back up. When Christian was a child, he was diagnosed with a very rare and very specific form of high-functioning autism, giving him special abilities like being able to put together an entire puzzle picture face down or solving mathematical equations in an instant. His mother insisted that uh, for the sake of their other child, Christian should be put in a facility where he will be safe from the jarring noises and uncertain chaos of the outside world. His military serviceman father, however, had other plans. Would you be willing to let your son stay with us for the summer, free of charge, working with me in a sensory-friendly environment? It's not going to happen. If loud noises and bright lights bother him, he needs more of it, not less. The world is not a sensory-friendly place, and that's where he needs to learn to live. Mom was unable to handle the stress and eventually left on Christmas, no less, and left Dad to raise two sons alone. So he did what any caring career military father would have done. He moved to Jakarta and paid a man to teach the boys the deadly Indonesian martial art of pencak salat by kicking the shit out of them on a daily basis. Enough. And I'm done. Tomorrow is another day. They have done their best. If that were true, you'd be covered in blood and snot, not them. Keep going. The two brothers learn some valuable skills that would serve them later in life. We discover that Affleck joins the military, like his dad, and while attending the funeral of his since-remarried mother, gets into a fight that, uh, in a roundabout way, sends him into prison where he bunks with mob accountant Jeffrey Tambor. There, he not only learns the intricate art of forensic accounting for vast criminal organizations known as black money, but he also learns how to communicate with people in the outside world. Inflection, right? Listen, just listen to my tone. I say, oh, I'm another year older, but I don't know if I'm ever going to get out of this fucking place. And you say, you're probably right, Francis. You're extremely old. It's unlikely you'll survive. Now, hold on. That's not what you say. Two years together, every night, you know. They give you a PhD in black money, but you gotta learn this. This is crucial. You're frustrated. What am I? You're frustrated. That's what I am. I'm frustrated. Good, good, excellent. Finally. All right, let's do another one. Back in present day, Christian is hired to audit the books of Living Robotics, a multi-billion dollar company that specializes in, yep, you guessed it, robotics, specifically as it relates to prosthetics. 
See, there was a discrepancy caught by super keener, adorably awkward accountant Dana, played to perfection by the adorably awkward Anna Kendrick, and once discovered, living robotics CEO, played by John Lithgow, hires Christian to find out where the missing $61 million has gone. Now, while Christian is doing his Rain Man accounting thing, a small group of mercenaries led by John Barenthal begins taking out anyone and everyone who is associated with the missing money. You with me? It's convoluted, sure, but trust me when I say that it all comes together in the most entertaining of ways. The script by Dubuque, most known for creating the tension-filled Netflix binge-worthy drama Ozark, is amazing. I mean, it's crazy and amazing. Dubuque never suggests that Christian's autism is a disability, nor does he fetishize it. He simply shows what would happen if, instead of bending the world to the needs of a boy on the spectrum... He doubles down with the insanity, leaving him to cope. The result is almost superhero-like and thrilling to watch. Life is a series of choices, none of which are new. The oldest is choosing to be a victim or choosing not to. You think if you don't fight back, then maybe they'll like you. Stop picking on you, calling you a freak. Well, here's what it is. They don't like you. They don't dislike you. They're afraid of you. You're different. Sooner or later, different scares people. Victim or not, make a decision. On the surface, the accountant could have been, and by all rights should have been, high-concept, albeit mediocre Ben Affleck vehicle, but in the hands of skilled director Gavin O'Connor, it is anything but. O'Connor plays with tone, or should I say tone, so perfectly that there were times I literally said out loud, what is even happening? I honestly wasn't sure the first time I saw The Accountant whether or not I liked it, because the movie's tone would vacillate from hard-hitting action thriller to an almost sweet-natured meet-cute quasi-romance to a superhero origin story to a James Bond finale. Subverting the viewer's expectations is very hard to do, and when it's done right, the audience is rewarded with something really special, and that's what I think The Accountant is, something really special. The acting is super fun to watch. J.K. Simmons is terrific as the world-weary treasury agent who has more answers than he lets on. Anna Kendrick's self-effacing style aimlessly bumping up against uh, Affleck's serious stoicism is hilariously uncomfortable, but the standout for me was John Bernthal. Bernthal gives a wonderfully nuanced performance, infusing an empathetic, almost effeminate sense of humanity into his hyper-masculine stone-cold killer. He has this unique ability to have the audience squarely on his side, even when he's about to commit horrific acts of violence. You administer your own accidental insulin overdose and just die. But do it with dignity. Your wife, who's sleeping upstairs, she'll be the beneficiary of what's gotta be a very generous insurance policy, am I right? But the only way she's gonna collect on that policy yet is if we have the appearance of an accident. If we lay our hands on you, you're gonna fight, squeal, she wakes up, my hands are tied. One accidental death is just that. Two, I'll have no choice. I'll have to rock and roll, a home invasion, violate your wife, does it in different ways, kill you both, burn the place to the ground. I'm sorry for that, Ed, Ed, Ed. 
Hey, nobody's gonna violate your wife, okay? Besides <laughs> what that would say about me as a human being, physiologically, it's a non-starter. Sometimes I think I just say shit, sample what comes out of my mouth. <laughs> I will, however, park a 45 in her brain pan. By all accounts, the accountant shouldn't work. But it does, and it works like gangbusters. It is relentlessly entertaining and so committed to its far-fetched premise and execution that you walk away not only thinking, yeah, that, that could happen. You, you, you go so far as to say that, oh my God, I, I'll bet shit like that happens all the time and we just never knew about it. The best thing I can say about The Accountant is that I've seen it six times, and each time I watch it, I am just as entertained as I was the last time. Rotten Tomatoes scored The Accountant at 52%, which suggests to me that taste is clearly at play. And look, I'll be honest, this was not a box office bomb. It, it, it made a ton of money um, with the promise of a sequel, which I'm hoping for... But here's the deal. If you're not a Ben Affleck fan or you're not into Anna Kendrick, this might not be the movie that turns that tide. However, if you're anything like me and you love it when a movie surprises you, check out The Accountant. It may swing for the fences and, you know, miss a couple times and it definitely veers into WTF territory, but it always knows what it is and it's never boring. I loved this movie. So those were a couple of films where I thought, you know, the critics got it wrong. Uh, there's a bunch of movies that uh, I think the critics got it wrong. Uh, I wanted to speak to contemporary ones. As I mentioned earlier, history has vindicated uh, some classics. But uh, if you're listening to this and you're kind of going, ah, you know, eh, not really into this stuff. Uh, here, you know, check out Hotel Artemis, a sci-fi dystopian movie where I think the critics got it wrong, starring Jodie Foster. Uh, it's a John Wick adjacent. Um, if you're looking for horror, uh, watch Underwater with uh, Kristen Stewart. It's a ton of fun. Or uh, check out Blumhouse's The Hunt, finally, finally released, the long-beleaguered The Hunt. Uh, I found it was more satire than horror, but it's really, really funny. So that's it for this week. I want to thank the Morbidly Beautiful Podcast Network for hosting Couch Trip Cinema. And I want to invite all of you uh, to come back and listen to a conversation I had with the uber-talented, uh, fiercely intelligent, uh, lovely, kind, book aficionado, among other things, filmmaker, Bria Grant. as She has two films, yes, two films that are coming soon. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Please follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Couch Trip Cinema. And be sure to like, subscribe, and more importantly, leave a comment. Reach out. I, I, I want to hear from you. Uh, I want to hear what movies you like. Uh, what are some of the movies that you think the critics got it wrong and why? Let's, let's engage. I love nothing more than to talk about movies. So I'm excited to hear from you.
All right, friends, stay safe, uh, stay well-stocked and healthy, and uh, look out for one another. And, And as always, keep watching movies. Later.